0: Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dories.
1: So anyone who knows me well knows one of my least favorite lines from a rom-com is the You complete me line from Jerry Maguire. It promotes the idea that if you can just find that one right person, your soulmate, then you will live happily ever after without a care or problem in the world. But what are the chances of finding your perfect match in a world of almost 8 billion people? And more to the point, how would you even recognize him or her if you had the good luck to stumble upon them? Real love, like principles, only exists when it's tested. It isn't really about perpetual happiness, and I think that's where most couples run into trouble. When anything less than never-ending bliss appears, the assumption that you are with the wrong person rears its ugly head. But what if there was something different at the foundation of successful long-term romantic relationships than infinitely being in love? Well, news journalist Jim Dalrymple is here to talk about alternatives to soulmate love. So, Jim, thanks for being on the show and talking about what I know is going to upset some people.
0: (laughs) Thanks. It's great to be here.
1: So let's just get right to it. You wrote a piece titled "Soulmate Love Is Overrated," and again, we have you can hear you can hear sighs all over the place right now. <laughs> so, what actually is the premise behind this statement that soulmate love is overrated?
0: Yeah, of course. So, the premise here is that people have been getting married, they've been falling in love, they've been having relationships for thousands of years but Mm -hmm. um for uh for hundreds and thousands of years um, people had sort of different priorities when they they approached uh, a relationship like a marriage for example and so like if you look back in ancient rome or a lot of cultures that were contemporary to ancient rome the goal wasn't to find sort of your soulmate and fall in love the goal was to uh, advance the sort of the goals of your, your family. You you wanted to produce mm-hmm. heirs, you wanted to improve your connections, you wanted to increase your holdings, these sorts of things. And that was pretty common at that time in the world. And um, the idea there is the, is what some historians, the sociologists refer to as the corporate family. Today, when we mm-hmm. hear that phrase, we'll think of like the Waltons or, you know, like a big billionaire type family. But mm-hmm. it in In a simpler sense, the idea was just a family that's sort of working together to advance their interests, right? Like maybe they hold a house together or like Mm -hmm. the classic example would be like a family farm or something like that. Anyway, so the goal of marriage in this period was to sort of advance the interests of the corporate family. And that carried over into the medieval period. It it went up for a long, long time. And then over the centuries, there was social and economic changes. And they started to kind of shift the way people thought about marriages and love and that kind of thing, and um, so where you had in the past this idea that a couple were workmates or yoke mates, like this idea that they worked together, that was the main mm-hmm. goal of, of a marriage. You wanted to work together and the I, I'm drawing a lot here from um, from uh, the historian Stephanie Coons who's done a lot of great work on this, so yeah. throw her name out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but this idea that there were workmates and yoga mates, you worked together. And then slowly over time, people started to shift their priorities so that you became soul mates. And I think that the, the terminology is an interesting one because it, it really captures that this idea of soul mates is a very new one, really. It's only emerged right. in the last, you know, hundreds to 300 years, sort of a gradual progression. But But when you look at the grand scheme of history, you know, like ten thousand years of recorded history, that's really a very (laughs) short time. Um, Well, and and yeah, sorry, yeah, go ahead.
1: And it's really interesting because, you know, when you when you think back to it, and I'm wondering, and we'll get to this in just a minute. I'm wondering as you're talking about this, how much of a role maybe the Industrial Revolution played. But you know, when you think about it, we we would live in relatively now. Obviously, we we've had big cities, you know, Rome and Athens and London, and they they've been around for millennia. You know, they've been around for a really long time, millennia, probably not. But um, but you know, you're you're living in this, you know, in tribes in these relatively small areas, and so obviously, first off, who you can partner up with is limited because it's not like you could hop on an airplane back then. And absolutely. You know, and this idea of we need to band together to survive, literally survive. And so, you we want to get with people who either have more resources or are, you know, the strong, you know, I always think of – you know, this, this, you know, Lake Wobegon. you know, where all the women are strong, you know, right, right. This, this idea of, you know, we, we want to be able to, you know, have hybrid vigor so that, so that our, that our genes survive. And so it wasn't really about, it was more about survival than personal happiness, I'm assuming.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, when I met my wife and we, you know, we were courting and that kind of thing, you know, I was, you know, I was I was trying to decide if her music tastes aligned with mine. If you know, we, uh, you know, if we like the same movies, if we kind of mm-hmm. had a similar circle of friends. But, and I'm sure that those were considerations throughout history. But yeah, also you needed someone who was going to provide for you, who was going to defend uh-huh. you, who was like there were a lot of practical considerations, and that was like a very much a key component of marriages in in various historical time periods across various cultures in the West and not in the West. Um, so yeah, like th- that was sort of this idea that people had to work together was really pivotal to marriage. Like it, it would be strange if you know if we, if we found an ancient Roman frozen in the ice and he thawed them today, right? And they were walking around mm-hmm. and, and they realized that those were not considerations to us so much today. That, I think that they would find that as alien to them as um, how their ideas are to us.
1: So I want to continue down this kind of historical view because you actually talk about two very specific things in your article that helped move us, change us, our idea. So what role did the Catholic Church and also the Victorian era play in this idea of soulmate love?
0: Yeah, it's super fascinating. So I, I, I have approached this as a journalist, so I'm just kind of sort of peeling back the layers of the onion, right? And, and it's mm-hmm. like, it's just endlessly fascinating to me. Um, so, you know, like going back all the way to Rome, right, you had sort of like a, a pagan society that transitioned into Christianity, but you still had kind of the same kind of like uh, corporate family, practical uh, workmate type marriages, and that mm-hmm. extended into the early medieval period. Um, but as the Catholic church grew and sort of formalized its organization and that kind of thing, it started to need more money. And um, <laughs> it, it, it needed that money to do like, to do good things. Like uh, this isn't necessarily like a, a nefarious plot, right? Like it needed right. it to run monasteries and orphanages and to help people out and that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe there was some nefariousness there somewhere, but, <laughs> but, but they needed a way to, to generate revenue. And one of the ways that they were they they discovered that they could do that is by sort of dismantling like the kind of clan based tribal based family structures that existed. So in other words, Uh like that corporate family idea. So, instead of um, like a sort of a a patriarch or a matriarch, usually it's a patriarch in that period of the family Mm -hmm. kind of determining who was marrying whom and, and, you know, where like the family was going to spend its resources and that kind of thing. The Catholic church uh, implemented a variety of policies that whittled down family authority. And again, this is, I mean, I I think this is interesting. I I have uh, some affection for Catholicism. This is not, like a, I don't say this to like throw Catholicism under the bus. It's just it's really right. interesting that the policies of the church they sort of whittled down the, the the kind of the tribal family structure and instead began placing more and more uh, sort of individual uh, freedom onto onto individuals. So like instead of your your parents choosing who you married, increasingly you got to choose. And right. instead mm-hmm. of your parents determining what you did for uh, your occupation in the future increasingly you got to choose. And um yeah, this was this this was a process that took centuries. It wasn't overnight. Um, <laughs> you know there was there was key moments like the the, the plague in the thirteen hundreds was, was like was uh-huh. like really key moment and and kind of later on shaping this evolution and that kind of thing. But the end result was that um uh, instead of strong family structures, um uh-huh. you had you had church policies leading to the rise of sort of individualistic companionate marriages and okay. people choosing who they wanted to marry based on who, you know, their affections and that kind of thing. And it was really at this moment when that idea of soulmates supplemented that idea of workmates. And okay. I, I, to me, it's it's so it's fascinating because it's like, at least, you know, I remember when I fell in love with my wife, it was like, this feels just like such an inherent sort of intrinsic human experience, right? Like it didn't seem to me like some sort of construct or anything like that, but the, the, the framework that we're thinking in really is, um, you know, the, emotionally maybe it's not, but like the idea that we mm-hmm. can act on, you know, like the soulmate idea really is the result of a series of policies that happened in, you know, like the, resulted out, of you know, like debates between French bishops in the medieval period. And so, <laughs> um, so that's kind of the medieval period okay Um, and then so you asked about the victorian period too and so like um as as most people realize it wasn't you know like in you know it's not like in the year uh 1400 or 1500 like uh, arranged marriages ended or anything like that but what Mm -hmm. you began to see uh especially after the plague and as we move into the renaissance you start to see um a, a more modern economic system Come to be, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. with that, you see wage labor rise, and okay. um, the and the, the, one of the like the, uh, the reason I mentioned the plague is because it killed so many people that there was a labor shortage, and the people mm-hmm. who survived were able to earn more money, and that led to a lot of great great things long term, like the Renaissance. People had more money to spend on art and uh, mm-hmm. uh, science, and like there was a lot of great stuff that eventually emerged out of this. But the the result of a wage labor economy is that People were less dependent on their families, so you didn't have to wait to inherit the family farm or you know the the butcher's shop in town or the blacksmith shop that your your dad was running or something mm-hmm. like that you could you could move to the next town and earn a great wage and you know sort of work your way up into the, the to the bourgeoisie or something like that and okay. so this was like this was sort of like a a ball that got rolling in the late middle ages and you know sort of through the Renaissance and the enlightenment. And then you see in the Victorian period, uh, like in the United States, for example, even, even in the early 1800s, most families were still living in some sort of corporate family structure. Most people were farmers. Mm-hmm, right. Most people were still waiting to inherit the farm or they were going to work in some way with the farm and that kind of thing. But uh, when you, you see with like the Industrial Revolution, you see like just like this explosion of wage labor. And so you had people flocking to cities. Um, and, you know, we all learned about that probably in, like, you know, high school uh, history <laughs> class Hopefully. and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but that that continued this process that began in the Middle Ages of sort of uh, disentangling the family from, from economics and financial concerns. So people were much more independent. And along with that, then you see sort of in the Victorian period kind of like a mental recalibration where, uh, you know, like there's this idea that men – exist in kind of the professional sphere and women exist mm-hmm. in the domestic sphere. But the, the, right. the, like the, that's connected to the economics because suddenly the single breadwinner could exist. Whereas before, if you're on a family farm, you know, like men and women, might everybody have different did jobs. Y-
1: yeah, yeah, everybody exactly. worked.
0: They, they both had jobs like they had to do, yeah. they both had work. But in the Victorian period, suddenly it became possible for men to to, to go outside of the house and do a job and support the house, the family. And it's not to say women were doing less work. They really weren't doing less work, but it became (laughs) redefined as Mm -hmm. not work. It became redefined as like this other thing that was sort of domestic, a domestic kind of labor of love. And there's a whole other discussion to be had about (laughs) kind of like how this kind of like relegated women to a lesser role, but, but in in a sense, that's, that's it. Like I'm, I'm kind of rambling on here, but like, that's, that's the gist of, Of this progress that led us right up until today when wage labor is still sort of dominating the way we think about uh, families.
1: That's absolutely true. So this is Happily Ever After is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net and I'm having an interesting and important discussion about the drawbacks of soulmate love on the health of marriages which we'll get to in a minute and if you think (laughs) your partner isn't the one or you've lost some of the in love feelings you once had, you're not alone. Nor is that abnormal, but what it might be is a misunderstanding of what makes love in your relationship last. And if you're ready to learn what actually works, I invite you to take a moment and send me an email or give me a call and schedule your free, no obligation, create your happily ever after discovery session. You can reach me by email at Leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com, that's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S coaching and is in nancy c as in com, or you can reach me by phone at area code 919 now as i just said we're going to talk about why soulmate love may be a problem so jim in your piece you say that quote love is great until it's gone which i love right unquote uh, can you elaborate what you mean by that because i really think this is at the heart of where we get off track with just the soulmate stuff.
0: Agreed. I absolutely agree. And I think, um, yeah, it, it's interesting because, you know, we were talking about sort of the history a second ago, and as, especially in the Victorian period, even into the early 20th century, there were people who were saying, you know, love is becoming sort of the, the, the core foundation of marriage, but love, love can be fickle, right? Like, you, mm-hmm. you can fall in and you can fall out of love. And the problem is that if, you know, if a relationship is just based on love, um, you know, like, what, <laughs> do you, once the love ends, do you stay in the relationship? Or do you walk away? And, um, you know, like, I, I've been in relationships I've walked away from before, but, but at mm-hmm. a certain point, that becomes very difficult, right? Like, if you're married, if you have kids, if you have, you know, uh, shared assets, it becomes very messy, it can become very right. emotionally painful. And there were people who were sort of sounding the alarm as this happened. Um, and I mentioned the historian Stephanie Coons a second ago, and she, you know, mm-hmm. she has suggested that, like, those, those people who were sounding the alarm in the 1800s, you know, the 1920s, they, they ended up being right, that, like, love ended up <laughs> being a somewhat weak foundation for marriage. Whereas if you contrast that with, like, the way marriage is used to to work, you know, if you're, if you're workmates, right, like, you might... Uh, you, you know, your your feelings of affection might ebb and flow, but there's a strong incentive to make that relationship work because not only is your sort of emotional well-being tied up in that relationship, but your economic well-being is as well. And uh, that's not to say like corporate families are going to come back, we're all going to go live on the farm, but I think it's, mm-hmm. it's worth being aware that um, like the, the capriciousness of love is... Uh, is a new thing, and it historically would have been considered a weak foundation for a relationship because it can end, and that can sort of that can torpedo not only the relationship but your finances. It can it can break up well, your kind of community of support. Yeah.
1: Well, which which in reality is exactly what happens. And yeah. you know, I mean, and I mean, because I have this, you because know, I will always say to people, you know, your children cannot. Hold your marriage together, but there are sure, but they sure are a good reason to to see if you can do it. And and I do think that this, I mean, there is this true misunderstanding of being in love, which is a relatively short period where we're looking at our partners through rose-colored glasses and everything, right? You know, fantastic and beautiful, and aren't they perfect? And our friends are looking at us like we're insane. yeah yeah you know i mean and 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 just the natural stages of love and what it means and you know and and it will ebb and flow because there there are times when we don't necessarily feel all that wonderful gooey stuff especially if you have a newborn who's keeping you up all night and you know Mm you're right you know i mean i've got Sorry, go you ahead. know this idea that somehow we're doing it wrong. If I, you know, if I look at my partner and go, "What are we doing here? You know, why am I with you?" Because you know, there there are times when it's not all roses and sunshine and unicorns and flowers. And and you know, but if we're but if we have a commitment to it, then that's an incentive to work through it. But yeah, I mean, if we blow apart a family now there's still a huge economic and emotional impact, not just to the two people, but to everybody who's associated with them, which I think is one of the reasons why this focus on, well, am I in love with you and am I happy at this moment (laughs) is particularly problematic.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think, um, you know, I like, I, I I'm married. Uh, I have two kids. Um, I, I'm very much in love with my wife, but I remember in the early stages of our relationship, there's that sort of that hot love, right? Like, yeah. like, you know, like yeah. that it's a different type of feeling. And, um, and, you know, like that, I, I do, uh, I, to be clear, I very much love my wife, but like, it's a different what? type of feeling and it evolves over time. And uh, I think, you know, like, the problem I think that with, you know, the the reason this history matters is because historically there was no expectation that you would necessarily Mm -hmm. love your, your spouse. Like there was a hope that it might, that love Mm -hmm. might blossom. Mm -hmm. And, um, but very much that was seen as something that would come after the marriage. And if it didn't Mm -hmm. come, it, you know, that wasn't the end of the world. And a lot of people are think today, like, Oh, well, you know, that'd be horrible to be stuck in a marriage. with someone I don't love, but the, the reality is that there was a much bigger support group. Like you didn't have, like that's today right. we focus all our energies on our spouse. They have to be our best friend, our lover, our, our financial partner, our co-parent, all of these different roles.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: historically those roles were broken out into different people. Like your, your spouse <laughs> and your best friend were absolutely not the same person. And mm-hmm. um, if today, if today they are like, that's, uh, that's fantastic. But I think that maybe like, the, the the comforting thing about knowing this history to me is not that we're going to go back to arranged <laughs> marriages or something like that, but, but the, mm-hmm. that it can be okay. If I have a best friend who is not my spouse, it can be okay. If, if my feelings, um, for my wife evolve over time, if, you know, if like we have a six month old right now, like we're in that phase where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're, the, we're not getting a ton of sleep. It's not maybe like that hot moment of love, but like, that's okay. Like, um, That like we like knowing this history makes me realize that like the way I've been taught to think about relationships is just one of many options. And it's a it's Mm -hmm. a rare and unique one. Like most people in history would have thought it was a strange one. Um, And so injecting some of this historical kind of wisdom into the relationship for me, actually, I think it strengthens my relationship, um, at least in my case.
1: Well, and and I do think I, I'm a proponent of information is power, and when we understand, and and you know, you talked about all of the things that now land in the lap of marriage, like you know, we're we we're, we're business partners, we're co-parents, right. we're lovers, we're friends. All of these things are now, you know, and to me, I will tell people that is what makes marriage unique. And that is what makes it challenging, because mm-hmm. you know we're equals in this, we come into this nope there's no hierarchy it 's not like parent, child, or boss you know i mean even in, yeah. even in siblings, even in siblings, somebody's older and you know and so navigating this is really tough, and when we're only focusing on that the the lover romantic part, which at times is not going to be the primary area. I mean, it, yeah. I, I, my thing is, is that it all needs to be in, in the, you know, it all needs to be in the pot, but, but this ingredient over here might be, you know, at this particular time might be more important. Like when we're with, with younger, younger children or, you know, getting older yeah. wherever we happen to be in our life, in our life scale. So you, you talk in the article, you posit that maybe we're asking too much from our romantic relationships. And we're talking about some of the cost of that, but okay. You know, I'm, I'm one of these things. Okay. So, so we were at arranged, we were at arranged marriage, corporate family kind of thing on one end and the pendulum has swung into this. My partner has to, complete me. Pardon me. makes me, makes my skin crawl. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they have to be, they have to be my everything. So what, what's the alternative? What is, what does the middle look like or is there even a middle?
0: I mean, I'm personally trying to find that myself right now. <laughs> I think, um, right. you know, like this, the, the article is part of like a project that I'm, I'm working on where I'm trying to sort of, figure out what that middle could be. But I I think that, uh, you know, again, it's not like we're going to go back to the way life was in, you know, ancient Rome or, you know, something like that. Like that, that's, that's not going to happen. But (laughs) to me at least, um, you know, like, it's like, if I, I'm looking at from when I, when I met my wife, I hadn't, I didn't know about any of this history, that kind of thing. Like we we were sort of Mm -hmm. in that kind of soulmate paradigm. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we, we still are a little bit, but like, if, if at a certain point in our lives, we're more in a workmate paradigm, like that's still a a valuable relationship. That's still, there's still meaning in that. And Uh I think that, that, um, you know, I'm not here to tell anybody, anybody what they should do with their own relationships. But like, I think that if you find yourself working with your spouse, um, more than, you know, being in like, sort of that hot early stage, like, to me, it's like I think I see this past. and, like people. People lived like that. They were happy in that world. Maybe we can be happy in that world too. Uh, maybe as maybe we go through a few years where this is a workmate relationship, where we're yoke mates, where we're where where we've come to respect each other and work toward a common goal, even mm-hmm. if you know we don't feel like we're you know 19 and you know falling in love in the backseat of a car or something like that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so like I, you know, I think that the middle ground is like picking and choosing from kind of our history, trying to understand what really worked for people, because this this work made corporate family thing it existed for thousands of years. If it didn't work, it would have not lasted for so long. So there are elements that we can kind of pick and choose and bring into our, I think, our existence now. Like, you know, I mentioned a second ago, like it's okay if if maybe I have a best friend in addition to my spouse. And I think mm-hmm. like, like, I think sometimes I, I, at least I, I think in my own relationship and the relationships with my friends and family, sometimes we feel like that there's like something missing, like in our circle, mm-hmm. our social and familial circles. And the, the response is like, I'm going to double down and I'm going to do everything I can to make my, my relationship better. And, and that's a great thing to do, obviously, but,
1: Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm.
0: but of course, but, um, But sometimes I think, and again, I'm speaking from personal experience, sometimes I think that the actual gap wasn't between me and my wife. It was that I lacked a broader social network, and I was trying Uh to make my wife serve all of those roles. And so going out and spending time with with a friend or with, you know, my brother or one of my sisters or something like that, Uh that that time actually improved my relationship when I, you know, when I got back a few hours later with my wife. And so trying to kind of redistribute these roles in, in, you mm-hmm. know, in whatever way works for a person. I think, uh, you know, there's like the, the saying, like absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? Like maybe that absence <laughs> is just two hours where you're catching a movie with your friend. Or maybe, you right. know, like my wife has gone on vacations with her friends. Like mm-hmm. these things, I think it, it takes a little bit of pressure off the relationship. And when the pressure's gone, I think that like the the relationship can improve.
1: Well, and I think that's I, I think that's so critical because you know, and you know, people think, well, th- this person, and I do think it goes to, back to expectations, right? If if yeah. we're told, and and then of course, you know, we have yeah, you know, lots of lots of inputs in in this, and if and if this is the expectation, and you know, and maybe at the moment, or maybe even you know, for a longer period of time than a moment, this isn't happening, then there's this panic that it's like, oh, my gosh, this is this is wrong, this is bad, as opposed to, no, this is just a phase. And yeah. we can have input into it. And, and like you said, if something's missing, whatever that might be, let's take a look at what the options are because it can be very – exhausting to have this expectation that I have to be everything to this other person, which by the way, doesn't exist. I'm sorry to burst that bubble for people because one person can't (laughs) be everything to to another person. Now maybe, okay, I mean, and and maybe even if we were, even if we were stranded on a desert Island together, I'd probably need my own space. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so it's more, Recognizing that there's more there's more options than arranged marriage or I just have to find this one person in the world who's gonna you know, light up my life from now until the end of time and never cause me any problems. <laughs> because you know Yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm about that, to I mean Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it's like I'm about to celebrate my 35th wedding anniversary and I have I now have two adult children. I, you know, and and so I've gone through this and, you know, my husband and I have ebbed and flowed through all of that where there have been periods where we've been closer together and periods where, you know, we're 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 just we're just pushing the boat in the direction that we decided we needed to go in. And, (laughs) you know, and 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 it's not and, and it's not a bad thing, but but I think being aware of it and not just giving into despair may be too strong of a word, but disappointment to go, well, it's not working the way I thought it would. And it's like, okay, well, historically, yes, it is working the way it's supposed to. We just, we just don't know that. So I, I find this a very interesting concept and, and the idea that, you know, trying to find this middle ground. And again, because we're not, because m- me and my partner aren't necessarily going to be in the same mental, emotional place all the time.
0: Yeah, totally. You
1: know, yeah. and, and we need, and having grace and understanding and again, as my listeners are going to go, here she goes again, and communication about this is, is important.
0: Yeah. I I think, you know, I mean, this may be straying a little bit from the the piece that I actually wrote, but I, you know, I think like um, uh, about my own relationship, you know, my wife and I got married pretty young. I was 25. Um, I'm in my Mm -hmm. late thirties now. Um, And uh, at the time I was like, you know, this, this is who I am, you know, you know, like we, we've Mm -hmm. met and uh, I am who I am. I'm a grown up now and we're going to get married. What I didn't mm-hmm. realize is how much <laughs> both of us would evolve over the years. Mm. Like, I, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I'm a totally different person today. I have a different, uh, different worldview. I've had different experiences. And we've evolved together. But I think it's also important for us, at least, to have allowed each other to evolve separately as well. To, you know, like I, the, the article that we've been talking about that I wrote, like, that's a project that I'm working on. My wife, I mentioned her in it but she's not really involved in it. Uh, she has <laughs> right. her own projects, right? Like mm-hmm. w- we're still our individual people, and yeah. um, and I, I, you know, I think that that is a little bit more in line with the way people historically would have seen each other. Is like the, every aspect of their life didn't have to be inter- intertwined, and right. um, and I think like that for us at least that's worked. I don't know if it works for everyone. It's worked for us though. So. <laughs>
1: Well, great. Well, Jim, thank you so much for this conversation. And can you tell people where they can learn more about, because you said this is like a project you're working on. So where they can learn more about this.
0: Yeah. So I write a weekly newsletter. Um, It's called nuclear meltdown sort of like, you know, same idea like with a a nuclear power plant or something. And the the concept (laughs) is that like uh, the nuclear family as we conceive of it today is maybe, not serving us as well as maybe it could This the hence nuclear meltdown and it's mm-hmm. um, at nuclearmeltdown.substack.com um so again nuclearmeltdown.substack.com it's a weekly newsletter it's it's totally free um you just put your email in and you'll get it every usually every friday and uh yeah it it covers all sorts of topics uh love work it's sort of like the intersection of like family and economics and, you know, some, some personal essay and that kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Well, cool. So we're talking about this soulmate and, and love. And so buying into the Beatles, love is all you need is going to leave you and your marriage in potential peril because love is a verb, not just a feeling. And you may desire to have it in your marriage, but it isn't going to be enough to keep your relationship on solid ground. It also isn't about grinding through your marriage, but about knowing what works and intentionally implementing it. That's what's going to keep it alive and thriving. So hopefully one of the things you're doing to keep your marriage alive and thriving is listening to this show. And until next week, stay loving.